0: If you're visiting with us today, um, I want you to right now thank the person that invited you because um, in a few minutes, they're going to be like, oh, I can't believe I invited them today because of what I'm going to be preaching on. It's not the most popular message there is, but uh, I believe it's a necessity message. Um, I, I know this. God has such huge plans for you and for me and for this church. God is about to do, I, I mean, you know, the question is this, what in the world's going on? Hey, it's, we, this has been the craziest year ever, but it's in the, going into 2021, it's still getting crazier. Uh, last week in Alabama, there on an orange beach, they had a storm come through and golf ball size hail beat up every car in town, knocking holes to us. And they're thinking, when in the world has a, has a, has a, and then here we are you know, ready for summer and it's freezing outside is it ever going to get warm it's, isn't this is the craziest stuff you want me to tell you what's happening we're in the middle of God about to do something that's what's taking place and to jump in theology I believe we're in what they call a dispensational change now that's theological bible school stuff that when i actually took a class in bible school called dispensational truths and it was like whoosh, over my head the entire time but what the, the way god works is he works in dispensations what that means is this there are ways and things that god sets as parameters of how he can and will move and work among people meaning And their dispensations are lengths of time that God sets in place that he allows or he has the freedom to move according to different rules. Meaning this, when God created um, in Genesis 1-1, that was the dispensation of creation. So in Genesis 1, God spent his time creating, speaking and creating. All right. Once the garden was created and all that, God moved into the dispensation of innocence. Adam and Eve did not have any sin. So God would come down and because it was a different disp- time of innocence, God could come down and walk and talk in the eve of the garden with uh, them and have personal relationship. Well, we messed that up. And so the dispensation changed. All right. Then it went into we, through time through most of the Old Testament. It was the dispensation of law. When God met with Moses on the mountain, he gave him the Ten Commandments, and therefore a dispensation, a time came into play that God functioned and ruled through the realms of the law. In other words, he gave the people the law, and the consequence, if you do this, you're blessed. If you do this, you're cursed. So it was the dispensation of law. He, he, was, he governed through the rules of law. And that was the dispensation all the way into the New Testament. And then in the New Testament, a new dispensation happened. It was called the dispensation of grace. When Jesus died on the cross, the dispensation changed. Uh, There was a time that God began to rule and govern through a different Set of rules, and it was so. All of us that are here today have lived and only known God through the dispensation of grace, because we're still in that. Jesus paid the price for our sin. He gave us grace. He he gave us unmerited favor, so we have been able to live and serve the Lord through a dispensation of grace. God has governed and ruled through grace in our lives. Well, it hasn't. Like I say, there's been many dispensations. And when one dispensation changes and the other starts, there's usually an overlap. In other words, like the best way to see it in the scripture was the dispensation of law was at work in Old Testament. And then Jesus was born. And for 33 years, while Jesus was walking on this planet, there was still the dispensation of law. But the dispensation of grace was was at work because Jesus, when the law was saying stone the adulterous woman, Jesus said, forgive the he was functioning out of grace, although they were in a dispensation of law. And it took 33 years for that dispensation to change. And when he died on the cross, boom, the dispensation of law was over. Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. All right, so then we've been in this dispensation. We've not have been having to kill sheep and cover our sins with blood and all the do everything what the law says. We've been able to just accept the unmerited favor of Jesus' grace and let it cover our sins, that so we can be right with the Lord. But now that's not the last dispensation. The Bible talks about the coming dispensations and the dispensations that move us into the end times. And I believe what in the world's going on. I believe we are in a Dispensation overlap. I believe there is a dispensation of end times that has begun to come about. At the same time, we're coming out of a dispensation of grace. There's going to be a day and when Jesus shows up and takes the church out, dispensation will change. No longer will there be a dispensation of grace any longer. It turns into the dispensation of the tribulation. And so... Why is why is everything crazy going on in the world? Because the Bible says that you know it as time goes forward, even the earth will begin to groan and cry out, and that's what's happening. I mean, can there whenever in your lifetime if you had a hurricane in Arkansas except last year. You know what I'm saying? Whenever have we, you know, it's just been a crazy. Thing. So you want to know what's going on in the world? We got droughts in places. There's never been droughts. Earthquakes have picked up 2000 percent in the last five years around the planet. Y'all had one here. We had one in Foley just about two weeks ago. It, I mean, it's crazy. Why? What's going on? God's about to do something. Aren't you excited? Because for the believers, dispensation changes aren't bad. The only dispensation for a believer that's ever been bad was when Adam and Eve blew it. But God's dispensation since then have been getting things better and better and better. And I'm telling you, for us, it's just going to get better and better and better. Because God, when he does things, it always gets better. Right. And, you know, you say, cricket, I need God to do something for me. My life is, over. I'm here to tell you, God's here and he will make it better. For you, no matter what it is. He is still the answer. So I'm so excited about everything going on in this season. Saying all that, I'm expecting at any minute, God, to do something so great in your life and so great in my life that it just blows our socks off. I, I stand in awe because, see, I believe we're in an overlap. And so what an overlap is, is you start seeing glimpses of what God's doing before it gets full blown, like Jesus when he showed up, he healed everybody that was there. It says and he healed all the sick that were there, but not everybody sick on the planet. Because he, you started seeing glimpses of grace. Because he was showing you that healing's available. And available. He started showing you he would forgive people that were there. But he didn't forgive everybody on the planet because he was there. But you started seeing glimpses. Now that, that, he can forgive everybody. right? So what i said is I'm seeing the goodness of God amazingly in people's lives right now. I was with Justin just yesterday and he was walking us through a building that was so... I just... My jaw was dropped saying, not only the hand of God. Only the hand... Even Justin was giving credit. He was like, man, this was God. You know, and God's doing such great things. And I want you to know before we get into this message, God has great plans for you. He says... In Jeremiah, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans of good, not of evil. Plans to give you a future. and Plans to give you a hope. God has such big plans for you. I want I'm to be honest with you. He didn't just save you to get you to heaven. He saved you and He wants your life to be so abundantly blessed. So don't settle with just going to heaven. Don't settle for just all of God that you have now. Because you can have as much of God as you want. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit being an infilling spirit. It fills your life full with abundance to the point of overflowing. God wants you to be blessed so much that it overflows in your life. Yesterday, Wade was telling me a testimony about how God just miraculously moved and blessed him for, it seemed like for no reason, but just because that's what God does. Amazingly. is God's hand is so amazing. He said, "Cricket, I got so many issues going on in my life. Let me tell you the answer to what you need. You need the hand of God to move in your life, because there's nothing the hand of God can't do." And so today, I want to jump into a scripture. I, I uh, jump into the message. I'm, I'm moving into a series of what I believe what God's wanting to do in our church, and I had my messages prepared and ready for several weeks now. But as I began to pray and about it. This is what I felt like the Lord told me. Cricket, there's so much I want to do in the church. and so many much I want to do in people's lives. But the thing about it is God could never do things unless first they prepared the way. There's always a preparation time before there became a move of God. And the Bible says that, you know, before like the dispensation of law and the dispensation of grace took place... The Bible says that there was a man named John the Baptist that God had sent there and told his message was this, prepare ye the way of the Lord. I mean, and I would absolutely love for God to just show up and do everything in my life for me. That would be, you know, the perfect thing. I mean, there's things I... And I have, the truth be told, I've expected God to do that sometimes. But that's not how God does things. You know, nobody succeeds on... Accident. Did you know that nobody becomes spiritual just by chance? Did you know that no one um, you know, has a great experience with God just by waiting on God to do it? Because the Bible says, you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. If you wanting to have a move with God, it's going to take us making moves and preparing the way. The Bible talks about when... Esther walked into the king's presence. She didn't just get to come there and have an encounter with the king. The Bible said, as a matter of fact, it took a year of preparation. For a solid year, every day, all she did was got up and was prepared to move into the presence of the king. I'm here to tell you, we're right on the brink of an amazing move of what God's going to do in this church. I felt it so strong Easter Sunday morning. There was as like, I mean, you go back and watch video. I, I was sitting in here and it was like it was a wave of the presence of God in this place. I was talking to Sister Doris afterwards, and all she was like, "Oh, the day, the day, the day." It was it was it was a, it was a supernatural, not normal day. If you missed Easter service, mm, I'm so sorry. Hey, you can, not every moment's the same. Not every you, we can't go back in time, but that was a service. And it wasn't even the preaching. That's probably the part that got messed up. But it was everything Now the presence of God was moving from the parking lot to the foyer. And, man, you could just feel the presence of God move. I remember there was a lady that met me out on the parking lot after service. And um, she, older lady, she didn't have any teeth. And she goes, I've been coming to church on Easter my whole life. I said, well, shoot, you ought to start coming more than Easter. She said, no, Easter's enough for me. She said, "She said though, she goes, I've never been to an Easter service like that. That was awesome. I said, Is that? do you mean good or bad? What do you mean? She said, it was different. That's what she said. I take it as a compliment. I'll choose how I perceive that. But it was. There was something different in this room. I mean, it was. If you were here, you felt it. You saw it. I mean, I, it was amazing. And I left here saying, God, that's what I want. Every time we come together, I want to be so impacted by you that I walk out of here and, you know, I feel different. I think different. I act different. I want to be encountered by your presence. And that's when the Lord told me, I desire the same. But you have to be willing to prepare for the presence. Esther, every day for a year, but go before Before she had to go before the king, she would go into the room and they would rub oil into her skin because you couldn't just walk into the presence of a king unprepared. There were certain protocols, so they would rub oil into her skin and, you know, bathe her and soak her in perfumes. And so when she walked into the room, the aroma of her wasn't offensive to the king. Man, And it makes you think, Lord, how bad did you stink if you had to take a bath for a year to be able to walk you today? No, it's not that He says that. There's a different protocol when it comes to truly experiencing the presence of the Lord. But there's nothing like the presence of the Lord. When the presence of the Lord comes into a room, darkness has to leave. When the presence of the Lord comes into a room, healing begins to be revealed and unfolded. When joy begins to erupt, those things and those desires that you've had in your life of an encounter with, that's what happens when the prayer of God comes into the room, but it don't just happen without preparation. There have been years I longed for the Lord to have an encounter with me and I would see other people you know, have encounters with the Lord and I'd like, oh, why aren't you doing that for me? And the truth was this, I wasn't preparing for it. They were. It you can't take preparing for the Lord casually you know, uh, we're a very casual church, and I know I set that tone. I preach in jeans and no socks. I mean, I understand that, but I, I, we live in a day now that you don't have to wear the full suit and tie. But it doesn't change the fact that we still prepare for the presence of the Lord, and the way we worship prepares the way of the Lord. You know, the, what, everything we do is we're wanting God to come because I know people face real things. I know marriages really go through hard issues. I've been there when my I'm, I have kids that have really been through health issues. I've been there. I've, I've been there where depression and, and heaviness. and So it really would be. And this ain't made up stuff. But I've also been there when the Lord and the presence of the Lord was able to fix every one of those issues in my life. So I'm desperate for the presence of the Lord. I'm desperate for God to do things here. And I know God will. But I believe God's moving us into a season of preparation. Because if we don't prepare for the Lord in the presence of the Lord, then I don't want God to look down and find another church that was willing to do so. Does that, does that make sense? And now, now, by now, your neighbor that invited you is probably saying, Man, why did I invite you here? Because I want to talk today, I'm going to name this message today Being Under the Influence. Have you guys have ever seen anybody drunk? I asked, have you seen them, not drunk, not have you been drunk, alright, didn't want you to tell on nobody, <laughs> alright, well, when you're drunk, they call that being under the influence, as a matter of fact, if you get pulled over driving with alcohol in your system, it's called uh, DWI, driving while intoxicated, you can also get a DUI, which is driving under the influence, and what that is, is if you've ever been around somebody drunk, you know that when you're under the influence of alcohol, it does things to you. You know, one thing being under the influence does when you're drunk, it, it changes how you think. When you, when you are drunk and you're under the influence, you're intoxicated, you think differently than you do when you're not drunk. And, you know, as a matter of fact, you're not smarter, just to let you know, you know, I've never met anybody that got drunk and got smarter. They thought they were smarter, but they were not smarter. right? So, you know, one of the things being under the influence of alcohol does, it, gets you, it changes your thought pattern. Did you know most of the time when people get drunk, they don't even know they're drunk? You know how many times I've sat with somebody and said, man, you're drunk. I'm not drunk. Yeah, no, you're drunk, dude. I'm not drunk. You know, they don't even know they're drunk. They don't. They can't see what others see because they're under the influence of alcohol, and it changes. You can you can be drunk and not even know you're drunk, all right? It also changes the way you talk. You know, it, it, you'll begin to slur. You, you you can't say things properly. You'll say the same thing over and over and over again, and you know um, changes the way the way that um, that you'll say some of the stupidest stuff you've ever said. If you're drunk under the influence of alcohol, you'll say things that you wish you wouldn't have said. And it'll you know, being under the influence of alcohol affects your speech. And it also affects what you see as attractive. The more you drink, the higher percentage of attractive people there becomes. The more alcohol you consume, the prettier everybody gets. To the point... That you can drink enough to where you even get pretty in your own mind. But the truth is this. The more you drink, the uglier you get and the prettier you think you are. Now, you ever seen anybody, they call it sloppy drunk. They, you know, they think they're just all. Have you ever seen anybody dancing sloppy drunk? They think they're breaking it down. And they're just, they don't even know. They're the entertainment. All right. They're under the influence of alcohol. You know, it, being under the influence of alcohol changes who you love. Because you can take two guys that, you know, manly men, and get them under the influence of alcohol. And they're like, I love you, man. And he's like, I love you, too. And they don't even know each other. They're bad, But when they sober up, they don't even want to talk to each other again. Being under the influence of alcohol changes that. It changes, changes who you love and who you like. Being under the influence of alcohol lowers your uh, guard. It, it, it lowers your inhibitions. You find yourself doing stuff that you would not have done. They call it liquid courage. It's actually liquid stupidity because for someone to get in a car and drive a car and put families at risk is the stupidest thing you could ever do, but it happens every day. And you could even ask somebody before they drink, would you dare drink and drive? Never. till they get under the influence. And it changes their ambitions. It changes, lowers their guard. And they'll do things they never thought they would do. You can take a good man, good husband, good father, that loves his wife and loves his children, fill him full of alcohol, and he'll do bad things. He can hit it. A wife that he adores greatly. He can hurt a child. He will be verbally abusive. And, so you can take a good man, get him under the influence Alcohol, and who do bad things? When you're under the influence of alcohol, you wake up the next day with a hangover. Being under the influence of alcohol, you you go to bed. I mean, you go to bed thinking you're having a great time, and the next day you're sick as a dog. Being under the influence of things has a great effect on who you are, what you are, what you do, and as we're going into this next season, into the next move of what God's doing, I believe we need to be very aware of what it is influencing us. Because the Bible says that we can be used by God, but it also says that we can be used by the devil. And... It's a sad day that we live in because now they say 66% of Christians do not believe that there's a devil and demons. C.S. Lewis says it like this. He said there's two people that the devil loves. He loves the skeptic that, you know, doesn't believe there's demons. And he loves the fanatic that believes there's demons behind every bush. Alright. and he loves those people because he can get him get, be able to function and do whatever he wants around those. But I'm here to say there's a balance. There's a real God. Bible says Jesus came to give life, life more abundant. We serve a living God. But He also said this: it says though that there is a the thief only comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. There is a devil. And I want to read Revelation 12 right here to you. Because if you're here today and you say, I believe in God, I don't know about that devil thing. I hope that God would open up something to you today. Now, I hate preaching on devils and demons because I hate giving the devil any more attention than he needs. But at the same point, I want to read Well, let me read 1 Peter 5 to you first, okay? First Peter five verse six says this. Therefore, be humble yourselves under the hand of God, under the mighty hand of God. I tell you, I'm so I love the hand of God. My daughter is walking today. Can I give you a testimony real quick? All right, my you know if you've been with if you're visiting with us a year ago when COVID, my, we were surprisingly told my daughter had some major birth defects and that she would be in a wheelchair by thirteen, and she would. You know, uh, quit uh, have to have a complete hip replacement by 20. Huge, devastating to us because we walked in the doctor's office that day. And all of a sudden, I see and hear and find out something that just knocks you off your feet. And so we began to see the hand of God move because even where we were, number three doctor in the world to take care of what was there was there. And if it would have found it here... No, he wasn't. I mean, just the hand of God. And so I don't want to go into all that, but the hand of God actively at work in our lives has been amazing. Well, over the last year, the hand of God was at work. I know that you may not have liked it, but the hand of God, my daughter had surgery on November on March the 13th last year. And she was going to be in a full-body cast for about six months. And Jennifer, my wife's a little girl, she couldn't do all that needed to be done for my daughter By herself. And so for me to keep doing what I needed to do. I needed the world to shut down. And you know what happened on March 13th? The world shut down. (laughs) And so for the first six weeks of this full body cast. The hand of God. Even though. What, people were like, why in the, world? the hand of God was still at work and the world shut down. And even for my, you say, well, Greg, why do you do that for you? If you look back in your last year, you see the hand of God working in your life. Because the thing about it, the hand of God is so big, it, while he's working in my life, he's also working in yours. And all things for the good. And I mean, it just, I'm just amazed. At, but, so we went through all the surgeries, but they told us about two months ago that we went back for a checkup. And they looked at I and they said, well, one of her hips has shifted and moved. And it looks like we're going to have to do the surgery again. And, I mean, we just went through. To me, I still get emotional watching my little girl go through all that. And so we left there. And I was like, God, I've trust your hand. Your hand has led us and guided us. And you put the right doctors in the right place. And you, and you, you know, put the right... You stopped the world so I could do it. And you did all this stuff. And, God, I'm so thankful your hands at work in my life. Your hand is so mighty. But, God, you've been using your hand to use the medical field. And I thank you for that. But I said, God, I sure would like to see a miracle with your hand without the medical field. But I'm okay if you want to use the doctors and we've got to go through the surgery again. I'm okay with that. I said, but God, I would love to see your hand do it by, by a miracle. Well, about three weeks after that appointment, we went back to the doctor to sit down and have the consultation to schedule the surgery and schedule the plan. We walked in. I didn't get to walk in. They walked in. They won't let them win in. Jen walked in with them. They took them into the X-ray room and re-X-rayed. And he said, I can't believe it. He said, where it had shifted, he said, it has moved back a little. And he said, we're not going to touch this baby till she's 60. Even if we have to then. I'm here to tell you, there, man, the hand of God is so mighty. That can take even a hip that had removed and they were going to, and began to put it back in. I mean, that's, that don't happen. Those don't reverse in these issues, but the hand of God. And here Peter said this. He said, Therefore, humble yourself under the hand of God. Another translation says, Submit yourself under the hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, Casting all your cares on Him. For He cares for you. Man, aren't you so glad that God cares about who you are? What you're going through? What's happening in your life? He cares about what's taking place. He cares what you're walking through. But then Peter says this. Shifts gears 100%. He says, but be sober. Be vigilant. Because the adversary, the devil walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Here, there's no, absolutely no denying the existence and the activity and the workings of God in your life. But there's also, Peter says, there's an adversary, there's a devil that goes around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, telling us that there are those he can devour. You know, if you read in Revelations 12, it says this in the In verse 7 says, And a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail. Nor was there a place found in them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that the serpent of old called the devil, and Satan, who deceives the world, has cast to the earth, with his angels were all cast out with him. That scripture right there talks about what happened in heaven when Lucifer, the angel, they the calling of the dragon, tried to rise up and rebellion against God. There was a great war. And the Bible tells us that the angels, God and the angels, won a great victory. And they cast the devil. And the Bible tells us one-third of the angels to earth to be here. Now, they're not angels anymore. Now, these ones that were cast out are now demons. And the truth is this. There is a devil on the earth. And there is a demon on the earth. Now you need to understand these aren't gods. See, God is omnipresent, the devil is not. So the truth be told, you know, most of the things that's been going on in your life will give the devil credit for. The devil can only be in one place at one time. So demons have probably been involved in and in, around your life. And the truth is, the enemy desires to take you out as much as God desires For you to fulfill the destiny he put you here for. As a matter of fact, Jesus looked at Peter and told Peter this. He said, Simon, Simon, because that was Peter's name before. He said, the devil has asked that you may be shifted as wheat. One translation says, the devil desires to shift your life around and separate and break things apart. That's what the devil does. He was after Peter. And I love... Peter in the Bible, because Peter was one of the ones that was chosen by Jesus to do great things for God. And the Bible tells us Peter was and did great things for God. Peter walked on water. That's pretty cool. You know, Peter was the one that at the day of Pentecost stepped out and preached and 2,000 people gave their heart to the Lord. Mighty, mighty man of God. But I love how Peter... Is talked about in Jesus. When the Bible paints the picture of somebody, He paints them wrinkles, warts, and all. Because He knows we all have wrinkles, warts, and everything wrong with us too. So when I read about Peter, I get hope. Because Peter, which, you know, the Catholic Church even calls him the first Pope. And there's not hardly a Christian organization that doesn't realize how powerful Peter was. Jesus said, Peter... You're the one that I'm going to use to build the church. Upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. This man undoubtedly was mightily used by God. But also in the life of Peter, he was greatly affected by demonic spirits. And so today I want to talk about being under the influence. Now the question is this, and this is a theological question. Can Christians be possessed by demons? Because when you read in the Bible, you know, a huge part of Jesus' ministry was dealing with devils and demons. You know, he was actually in the wilderness. It was the the devil that showed up and tried to trip him up and tempted him three times. But the Bible says when he was one day, there was a young boy that came running up to him. That was demon possessed. And Jesus talked to that demon inside of him and says, you know, what is your name? He says, we are legion for we are many. And the Bible says that Jesus cast out 2000 spirits out of him. All right. If, if you don't want to believe in the demons and you don't want to believe in the devil, you're going to have to take out about half of who Jesus was. Because, see, the Bible says he came here to seek and save the lost. But while he was here, he also stole or took the keys of death, hell, and the grave from the devil. And he defeated the devil. And the devil now is a defeated foe. The thing about it is the devil is still at work here trying trying, it says seeking whom he may, may means permission, trying to stop what God is doing in your life and what God is doing in my life and what God is doing in our church. The devil's main mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. And the devil is at work in your life with demonic spirits and demonic presences. And you say, well, can a Christian be possessed? i don 't believe a Christian can have a demon on the inside of him, but I do believe a Christian can be oppressed, which means that he can be affected or influenced by demonic presences. I believe that the Holy Ghost and demonic presences can 't be roommates because the Bible says what what fellowship does light have with darkness what uh, what uh, relationship does God have with Baal? None. So, if I have Jesus on the inside of me, I don't got to worry about there being a demon in here. Now, you know, he, the, God, the Holy Spirit, when I accepted Jesus, He evicted everybody. Doesn't change the fact, the Bible says that you know, when you cast the demon out and he goes away, it says, and you clean the house and keep that, but if it comes back and the house is empty, says he'll come back in, and that'd be true. You know, the Holy Spirit got kicked out when you accepted Jesus. I mean, the, any demonic presence, demon, but the demonic influence didn't leave your life. Because the devil gets up every day trying to influence and stop and steal, kill, and destroy things going on in your life. And we're going to look at this just for a few minutes today through the life of Peter. Because I know that the Holy Spirit's about to do huge things in your life, and for you. We're moving into a time where God's hand is going to be seen at a level I believe that the world has never seen it before. The Bible says, in the last days, I'll pour my spirit out on all flesh. But, you know, you can't fill something up if it's already full. And so, going into this next year, I want to talk about us removing and emptying any influences out of our life that would hinder or stop God's will and purpose for you, for me, and even for our church. If you look in the book of Matthew, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says, and I'm sorry, i got to turn. So I'll tell you the exact, I'm sorry, it's book of Matthew, chapter 16. You, they'll pull up on the screen, but I'm going to tell you what it is. The Bible says Jesus was sitting around talking to his disciples, and Peter was there. And Jesus said this, he said, who do they say that I am? And they said, some say you're a teacher, some say you're Elijah. And Peter, the Bible says, says, you are the son of God. And Jesus was shocked at this. And is what he said. He said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. He said, but only God could have revealed this to you. So this tells me something very big here about Peter's life. This tells me that Peter had a, the ability and knew how to have God talk to him. He had a relationship with God that God would reveal truth and reveal. And at this moment, I see Peter was saved because at that moment, he didn't believe this was a Messiah. Uh, this was a teacher. Or at this moment, he knew Jesus was the son of God. All right. So here in Matthew 16, we see that in the same chapter on the same day, in the same conversation. Jesus began to talk about what God was going to do and how God was going to do it. He began to tell how he was going to have to go and he was going to have to die. He began to say, all that was going to happen. And all of a sudden, Peter said, oh, no, we will never let this happen. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, get thee behind me, Satan. So here we have him in the same day, same conversation proof evidence that Peter heard from God and was being used by God, but also, in the turn of a dime, Peter began to be used and influenced by the devil. Because what Peter said didn't sound bad. No, I I, I would never let that happen. That doesn't sound bad, does it? That sounds actually pretty cool. You know, he, he loved Jesus so much, he'll defend him. He'll But the thing about it was, see, Jesus knew it was a demonic spirit because it was speaking against and trying to stop God's plan for Jesus and for us. That is the tactic of the enemy, to stop God's plan that God has for you, God's plan for your family, God's plan. The devil is always trying to influence you or others to try to stop what God wants to do for you in your life. And he finds ways. I don't believe Peter was influenced. I mean, uh, possessed by the demon right here. He didn't say the demon was influenced. But he turned and rebuke Satan. I believe he was under the influence. The word possession in the Bible is used. There's two words possession used there. There's possession as in ownership in the Bible. I don't believe Peter was owned by the devil. He believed Jesus was the Son of God. But there's also the word possession in the Bible that means under control of. And so I know this that you can be saved, but you can also be under control of something else. That's why here Peter knew it very well. That's why when he wrote in Peter 5, he said this, Be sober, be vigilant. Sober. Don't be under the influence of anything because the devil goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He said, So put yourself under. Humble yourself, it says. "Under One translates, Submit yourself under the mighty hand of God. Meaning this. If I don't make sure that I'm not under the influence of something, if I'm not making sure I'm sober, and if I'm not vigilant, making sure and doing it on purpose, not casually just walking through things and doing them the way I want to, then I can be under the influence of a spirit that is not the Holy Spirit. And so here, Peter knew this. That's why I believe he wrote it in First Peter. He says, hey, guys, we got to be here. You got to be sober. Don't be under the influence. Be very vigilant. Keep aware. Make sure you're watching to make sure this don't happen. Because if you do, the devil goes around like a rolling lion sticking to be made to devour. The devil will stop what God's plans are in your life. And it's up to me whether or not I choose to let that happen. Because the devil's defeated. He has no power. But if i don 't choose to make sure I stay submitted under god 's way of doing things, which is his hand, then I can find myself being used by the devil to stop the will of God in other things and so I want to make aware today to you how the devil does it. If you go to Genesis chapter one, where i 'm chapter three, where we find the first instance of Satan. In the Bible, messing up God's plan for people's lives. You understand that's what he did with Adam and Eve. He created, God created Adam and Eve, put them in the garden, and wanted their life to be perfect and awesome. But then here comes the devil, messing up God's plan for somebody's life. We pick it up in chapter 3 and it says this, And now the serpent was more cunning than any other beast of the field. Alright? The devil reveals his strategies right here. God's plan was for Adam and Eve to have a great, good life. So, of course, the devil's going to step in. And the Bible says that when he got ready to do this, he went and found somebody that he could use or something that he could use to do it through. And he goes into detail letting us know why he chose the serpent. It says, for he was more cunning than any other beast in the field. The devil's been watching you and watching me our whole lives and, he knows everything about us. He knows your good days, your bad days. He's not on the... And I say the devil, demonic spirits, have been watching and they study... I and, they, and they've been watching to find out what your tendencies and your traits are. The devil's been watching me find out what my tendencies and my traits are. See, and he went after this demonic... He went after this snake because... There was a cunning trait in him. Now, we know the story how that when, after the snake had Adam and Eve fall, God came and took his legs away. So now you'll crawl around on your belly. Back in the garden, they walked. Snakes walked. But it didn't, talk, it didn't tell us he changed his color. So, what was it about the snake that made him cunning? Well, what is it about snakes that make them cunning and dangerous? They're camouflaged. You know, if, if snakes were bright orange, they wouldn't be hard to keep from getting bit. But they're the best camouflaged animals, basically, on the planet. You can walk right up on a snake and never see it. They, are very, they were created cunningly, and they have a trait of cunning because they can blend into anything. They can hide. They, they can sneak up on their prey. That was a trait, and they got that trait because of the environment they were in. You can go all over the country, all over the world, and find snakes in their natural habitat, and they they uh, adapt their their skin and colors match. Like say, you can take a you go to um, Africa and they got different colored snakes, or you come here, or Alabama's got a pine snake that looks just like pine straw, and you know they, they they adapt to their environment of where they've been through and what they're at, and so this is what the strategy of the enemy tells me. Me and you have traits in our life that we have picked up and learned to do and learn to deal with. The snake is camouflaged because it's a protector for him. All of us have been through hard and tough situations in our life because we were born into a fallen world. And the circumstances and the situations that you have grown up in give us each different traits that we've learned to defend ourselves with. Mine growing up was anger. Anger was a defense mechanism that I had. I was a little guy. I had a little man syndrome and had a big mouth. But I learned this. If I could get mad enough, I could back down some big boys. And if I got mad enough, I could fight my way out of some situations that I normally wouldn't be able to do. I had picked up a trait because of such circumstances and situations I've grown up with. There are some people that develop traits because they grew up in a negative environment, and so their mind begins to work negatively about everything. There are some people that you know grew up in with a they grew up with a a, a tendency to lean toward drama because you know that was they they were neglected growing up, and so they, they the more drama they could create, the more attention they could get. And so you've been, all of us have been going through life creating. And trying to just survive and get through. But the truth is, we've all picked up traits. And the traits that you and I have picked up, the devil knows them. There's some that grew up with bad authorities that didn't want the best for them or put them in bad or unsafe situations. So they developed a trait that would question authority or even stand against authority. And it was traits they got because of environments they were in and the devil knows these he knows our traits and he chose the serpent because it says he was the most cunning of all the creatures in the field he didn't pick up on the dumb elephant that would have just walked in and be like because he didn't have that cunning trait and so the devil knows your traits and he knows my traits And the thing about it is, one chapter before, the Bible says this snake was not bad. The Bible says this was good. The Bible says that on the day of creation, on the the sixth days, everything that God created was good. He created this snake on the sixth day. So this was not a bad snake. And be like with me in anger. I did not. The devil did not give me anger. As a matter of fact, the Bible said this. The Bible says be angry. So that means God gave it. And then he gave me permission. But then he says, and sin not. Meaning that that's a trait that he gave me. But I can let the enemy use it. And so the snake was cunning because it was how God created him and the environment he was in. And he used his five and it was good. But anything in our lives that we allow the enemy to have control over becomes bad. And it will cost you. And it will curse you. And so the Bible says this. It says this. It says that he was more cunning than the other. So the, the the devil used the snake. And it said that the devil said to Eve. Now, this pauses me just for a minute because up to this point, There were only three speaking spirits in the garden. There was Adam, there was Eve, and there was God. And I got to be honest with you. When I read that, I was like, whoa, whoa, check that out. Her reaction was weird to me here. Because when the serpent said, I would have thought the reaction would have been, whoa. Because when I see a snake, I don't know about you, but when I see a snake, I'm already like, whoa, all right? But if I see a talking snake, the game's going to change. All right? I'm going to have my phone out, but check this out. There's a talking snake. But here in the story, says, and the angel said to Eve, and the Bible says, and she said back. So there was no surprise reaction out of her for there being a talking snake. That's weird because up to this point, there's only been three speaking spirits. So what this tells me is this. That trait had been at work and the enemy had been using that trait for a long time because it couldn't have just happened all at once. That snake, that devil had to start way back when, when maybe she was just walking by a bush and there was a sound that said Sellows. And she thought, boy, that was a weird sound in the wind and walking by and that voice of that snake began to craftively work to where she got so used to it. That the conversation was not unnormal to her, but it had become a part of her daily life. So the snake probably, you know, got to a point one day when he said, man, you sure are having a good hair day. Well, thank you. You know, it didn't just go right to where it was. But it came to the point where the snake was so comfortable talking to her that he started talking about God. And she didn't question the snake. She began to question God. This is how demonic spirits work. I don't believe they're in Christians. But they are oppressing and trying to constantly get us under their influence. And they know us so well. They know every trait, every wound, every hurt, every disappointment, every protection, every defense mechanism that I have or every... Thing that I've used to try to survive and get through the environments that I've come through. And so he waits. When he can take a trait that I have formed from what I've been through and try to use it to stop the will of God in my life and in my family's life and in our church. It's a dangerous thing that not only does God have a plan and want to use us, but the devil does too. He don't want to just stop you. He wants to use you. He wants to use you to not just keep the will of God from coming about in your life. But He wants to use you to stop what God can you say, well, Cricket, that can't be so. Yes, it can. Yes. The Bible says when the Holy Spirit came, the Bible said Jesus told His disciples to go to the upper room. And when they went to the upper room, it says they all went and waited. And they had to wait there 10 days. 10 days they were waiting. Why? Why did they have to wait 10 days? Why didn't He just come? Because it says when they were. So it also can be interpreted until they got says, when they were or until they were able to get in one accord, the Holy Spirit did not come. But when they did, the Holy Spirit came in. So that means everybody in that room had to come to the place where whatever the enemy was trying to use them to stop, and maybe even the first day, it was Peter that was getting used by the, Holy, by the devil to not let it come about, but he got his lined up, but then John, and, but the devil wants to use people too. When you see it in Peter's life, the Bible says, Jesus said, the devil's asked permission, he, he desires to shift you as we. The devil desires to use us and do it, and the way he does it is through demonic influence. And we, you know how demonic influence come because he knows us well, and he begins to speak to us. I've learned this. People that learn to hear God speak also have the ability to hear the devil speak as well. And when you allow the devil to speak to you, and you don't stop it, eventually it becomes normal to you. The devil's been speaking to us all through our traits too. Trying to stop it like, he's been telling you, you're worth nothing. You're good for nothing. Those are all devil thoughts. See, the way the devil speaks to us are through our thoughts. Number one, he comes to you. If he can get you to start thinking his thoughts... He can begin to influence you and take you under His influence. That's why the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If you will listen to God, it brings you under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Or if you listen to the devil, brings you under the demonic spirits, brings you under the influence of demonic spirits. You're being used by one. And you can be a good thing, the snake was a good thing, and still be used by a demonic person because whatever you're under the influence of, That's why the Bible says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be under the influence of something else, but be full of the Holy Spirit and give Him submission and control. But we can be under the influence of a demonic presence. And if we want God to do something in our lives, we have to be sober, be vigilant. We have to make the decision that I am not going to allow the Holy... And you say, well, how do I do that? The Bible says, take... It first starts with the thoughts. The Bible says, take every thought captive. They say this, you can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep him from building a nest. The truth is this, every day the enemy throwing thoughts at me. The most precious, loving, beautiful woman on this planet is my wife. You may think that about yours. I think that about mine. But every day the enemy will tell me something wrong with her. The devil with her, you know, she's rude, or you know, she don't care about you, or, you know. She, and the devil will constantly tell me things about her. And if I don't take those thoughts captive, you know what will happen? I will start feeling the way those thoughts sound. See, the devil first comes and influences your thoughts. Can't do anything about him doing that. But what you have to do, the Bible says, is you have to renew your mind by the washing of the word. So you have to constantly be getting scriptures and reading the Bible and putting them in, so that when the enemy comes and puts a thought in there, it, 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 you know it, 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 it doesn't match at all. It's be like apples and oranges. You know what I'm saying? You, oh, this is what the Word of God says, but this is what I this has got to go. I got to take it th- captive and I got to be sober and vigilant about it. And think I got to think about how I'm thinking. But I don't. And I will start feeling a certain way about certain things. I can feel. I mean, I, I, it's amazing. You say, well, you know, you know, in every marriage, wives are wrong. But I can be. The devil will even try to make me think bad thoughts about my kids. And they're little. You know, I, I'll be walking around and thinking, man. That Alexis is, man, she's just so stubborn. That's not God telling me that. The Bible says that she's an arrow in my quiver, a blessing of the Lord. And he's given her to me so that I can be an influence in her life. But if I allow a demonic spirit to put a thought and I I let that thought stay there and I take and I coddle that thought because that thought makes me feel like I want to feel When Jennifer maybe says something out of turn or rude, it may feel good for me to get upset and angry at that. Man, she, how dare her. And I coddle that thing. There was a story about a a doctor that went to uh, Mexico, and as he was coming back, he saw a dog on the side of the road. And it was starving. It was skinny. It was nasty, dirty. been out in the woods living on its own. And so he got out and he got the dog up in the car. He's like, you know what? That's so sad. This poor dog, you know, been left out there straggling. So he took him home and tried to feed him and tried to nourish him and tried to get him healthy. But no matter what he tried to do, he couldn't get the dog healthy. It was still straggly and scrawny and ugly and looked sickly. So he took it to the vet and said, what do I need to do? Man, I found this puppy and I've tried everything. I can't get him. He said, the vet says, you'll never... Get him to be a healthy puppy. And he said, why? He said, because he's a rat. It's a Mexican rat. You gotta, and the truth about it is this. We can think whatever we want to about the way we feel. But if it doesn't, if we aren't feeling what the word of God says, we're not raising a puppy, we're raising a rat. And so you can't make those things be what they're not. You got, you got to decide. You know, I don't care how you feel about something. If it's not what God said, you're being under the influence of a demonic spirit. And being under the influence of a demonic spirit will stop God's plan for your love. And I know this is not a popular message. And I know people, but I, I gotta, I'm here to warn you. Paul, Peter said this, I almost destroyed my life because I allowed demonic presences in my life. As a matter of fact, you know, he, was, he had an opportunity to be at the cross. Now, you need to understand how powerful that is because the disciple that was there was the only disciple that died of old age. You can't tell me that the, God, the, the will of God wasn't affected by the demonic spirits in the disciples' lives. Peter, he was close to being there, but he was by a burning barrel with other people. John was there. He died of, the enemy The enemy's constantly going to try to stop what God's doing. He, he does it by demonic influence. So I have to be sober. I have to vigil, and recognize what demonic influences are trying to affect me. So what I have to do is, number one, I have to take my thoughts and compare them to the Word. i got to be honest with you. We, the devil can get me thinking bad things about people I like. The devil will try to get me to think bad things about people I don't like. You know, and, hey, I mean it's the devil tries to get me to think bad things about myself. You know, and I the truth is we love ourselves more than we love anybody, but that we if the devil can get you to think on it long enough, he knows you'll start feeling that way. Or what he'll do is he'll come to your feelings first and then get your feelings to think a certain way. You need to know something. The Holy Spirit does not talk, work, or influence through feelings. Or through thoughts. No, that's the devil's tactic. Because the fruits of the Spirit aren't feelings at all. They're fruits. The devil will try to influence your feeling, the emotion of happiness. You say, okay, how, how do you know the devil used the emotions? Because this is what the Bible says. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. It says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. It says, because if you do, it will give the devil a place. See, your emotions are a way that the devil's trying to get you under the influence. And if he can get you mad at somebody long enough, if he can get you depressed about something long enough, then you go under the influence of a demonic spirit. And it will stop what God's plan for your life is. Three things that I'm done that will stop those chances when Jesus showed up on the seashore. Bad ones, ones that are... That the snake wasn't bad in Genesis 1 but because he allowed himself to be influenced by a demonic spirit he began to do bad things God created every person but if every person allows demonic influence in their life they become bad companions the Bible says and what happens with companions is they are spirit transfers it shows us in the Bible when Mary and Elizabeth Mary was full of the Holy Ghost and when she showed up where Elizabeth was that had a baby inside of her, the spirit on the inside of Mary jumped into the spirit that was in Elizabeth and the baby was filled with the Holy Spirit. Same thing being said, the the Bible says when the young man came with the demonic spirit in him, they said, don't throw us out anywhere. Let us go into the pigs. Spirits are always looking for people to jump on. Let's, that proves the fact that animals can be demon possessed. That's why. I, that's why you never question whether a cat's got a demon or not. They can be, and they went that pig. Uh, but uh, the demon demons transfers, and so if I'm running around with people that have made choices or gotten lax, most people that I find that are demonically influenced, it's not that they chose set out to be used by the devil. They just chose not to be vigilant. They just got lax. Ah! That ain't got nothing to come out of that. It's not too bad. And what happens is, what they allow in them, if I allow it, so this is true to be said. If you find somebody that every friend they have is a troublemaker, they're a troublemaker too. It's a transfer of spirits. If you find somebody that is, um, you know, always, always gossiping, and, I mean, if you find somebody that all their friends are gossips, guess what? If you find somebody always coming to you, bringing you gossip, guess what? Because hey, the old saying is if a dog takes a bone or carries a bone, he'll take a bone. It, um, the, my, so, my friends, when Peter was running around with people that weren't Christ followers, he was influenced demonically into causing the greatest effect in his life. Regret that still people to this day preach negatively about probably one of the men that was used more greatly than God by God than any other man in the New Testament. The thing about it is good people can be under the influence of bad things. I have a choice. You know, when I think thoughts about people or I think thoughts about others and I don't think about the thought that I'm having then I can open up a door for a demonic spirit to happen the telltale sign though of me being under the influence of a demonic spirit is I'm not under submission to anybody the way you know that you're not demonically influenced is that you submit yourself under that's what he said the hand of God you know, I constantly have to call my dad and say, Dad, you know, we've been rolling and going. And don't, Do you see anything in my life that the enemy is influencing me and that I don't know about? Do you see a demonic presence using me in a way that would stop the will of God for my life, for my family? Because, see, the truth is, most of the time we don't see it till it's too late. And then what happens is it opens up a whole new door for the demonic spirit of shame to come in. And shame is the one that makes you pull back and sit down and do nothing. Because now the demonic spirit is influencing you that you have blown it again. I'm ready for a move of God. And I know I ran a bunch of people out of here today. As I've been preaching, people have constantly been walking out. I also know this that the presence of God is not the only spirit in this room. There are demonic spirits in this room. And there are people that came in here today influenced and under the influence of demonic powers. That's why their marriage is not working. That's why their joy is not full. That's why they can't walk and talk in love and kindness. See the fruit there. You want to know the best way to know if you're influenced by the Holy Spirit or if you're influenced by a demonic presence? Ask your spouse or your best friend, "Do you see the fruits of the spirit in my life?" Because see, fruits aren't for the tree to eat. Fruits are for those around the tree to receive from. And I can think I'm the sweetest guy in the room. And Jennifer, know that I am so demonically influenced that, man, you can't even squeeze sugar out of me. But yet I can be deceived because, see, that's what the devil does. He deceives. And if I'm not willing to let others help me stay free, that's why the Bible says, confess your faults one to another so that you may be healed. Because the devil... If I allow him to have any place, that area of my life will not experience the purpose of God. And there's all kinds, See, your tendencies are how you survived. But God will help you heal those things if you get them and submit them under the control of the mighty hand of God. But if you allow the enemy to speak to them and have you think that way and feel that way. Then you're going to talk that way and there's a matter of moments before you act that way. And then there you are no longer being used by God. You may be saved but you're actually stopping the will of God in your life and in others. I, what, How sad would it have been in that upper room on day 10 if everybody got it together but Peter? And he just put his foot down and says, I have a right to feel the way I feel, think the way I think. you got to know something. Your opinion don't matter a hill of beans. My opinion don't matter a hill of beans. Because this, if my opinion is not established on the Word of God, my feelings and my te- what it is, is my tendencies. What I've used to survive... My opinion can stop the will of God in my life the way I feel. It's amazing how people have told me, I just don't feel that way. That's okay. You don't have to. But you're going to miss on what God has for you. Because that devil you're hearing and listening to don't have anything good for your future. But God has nothing good for it. So you will come out of that from under the influence. You say, well, Kirk, how do I do it? You know, one thing that a... The devil cannot keep from happening. The Bible says the devil cannot keep somebody from worshiping the Lord. Can't do it. He may can keep you from feeling good. He may can keep you from, you know, talking good. He may can keep you from, you know, but he can't stop a person from worshiping. The reason why we know that, there were 2,000 demons in Legion. And you know they were doing everything within their power to keep them from running to the feet of Jesus. Because they knew what would happen when they got there. But they couldn't stop him from getting there and beginning to worship. And the Bible says when he began to worship, Jesus set him free. So what do I do? First, you, you know, you, this is the truth. You'll never find anybody not delivered from the influence of a demonic spirit that doesn't want to be. If you like petting that rat, you get to keep the rat. But if you want to be free, all you have to do is find yourself a way to get to the feet of Jesus. And you just begin to worship Him. And you give that place of your life that the demon has had control over, influence in, And you begin to think the thoughts that Jesus thinks about that. What does that mean? Uh, If it's your marriage and you're demonically influenced in your marriage, I want you to know something. Your marriage is not going to get better until you get the demonic influence out of your life in the area of your marriage. If you think your husband's a loser, that's not from God, you're going to keep married to a loser. But if you'll start... Taking those thoughts captive, replace them with the word of God, saying, Man, my husband is created by God. God loves him. God has a plan for him. And you begin to worship God for giving you the husband that he created, and he's going to be the man of God that he. Man, Jesus will show up and set your husband free. If you're sick of being demonically influenced, the key and answer is move to a place of worship. Worship is a sign of surrender. Worship is a sign of submission. You can't worship something that you don't submit yourself under. You can't worship something that you haven't humbled yourself to. Because you can't worship laterally. You have to worship up. And so the secret to being free from demonic influence is not act on how you feel, not demand your way. You move yourself to a place where you say, God, I worship you. And if you want to allow it to stay this way, I'm going to worship you anyway. So I didn't tell you what Jesus told Peter when he said, Simon, Simon, the devil desires to shift you as wheat. Jesus said this, he said, but Peter, I'm praying for you. He didn't say, I'm going to stop it. He didn't say, stop it. So this brings up the, why does God got allow bad things to happen to good people? He said, I'm going to stop it. Because this way he says, because when you come back, he says, I'm going to use you to encourage your brothers. You're going to be the one that's going to keep other people from going through it. You're going to be the one that want to. So, if you're in an area and the enemy's coming after you to devour you, you know this about the devil, though. It says he's a roaring lion. Roaring lions are the ones that are the old, worn-out lions in the wilderness. The wild lions, the ones that roar. And so, that's all the devil can do is tell you stuff about your husband, about your church, about your God. You say, well, no, he put cancer on me. No, he's telling you that you're going to die of cancer. And if you believe that, guess what's going to happen to you? You say, well, why do I get cancer? Because we live in a fallen world. The devil has no authority to do anything. But we live in a fallen world where sin is a major factor on this earth. And so do we see the results of sin every day? Yes. But the thing about it is, if I listen to what the devil says about what it is I'm going through, I will have what the devil says is going to happen to me. But if I just worship God in it, God, Jesus said, I'm going to pray for you. And when Jesus prayed for him, it was a guarantee that he was going to make it through what he was going through. He said, because when you come back. So when you can, if you can just worship through it. The reason why God's letting it happen is because there's somebody that's not going to make it through it like you will. And so He's going to send you back to them to set them free when they begin to go through it. It's not actually a test. It's a trust. He knows that Jesus went to hell so He could come back and tell us and make a way so we don't have to. God wants to use you to keep somebody from going to, going through hell in their marriage or on their jobs and It just takes you not allowing the demonic spirits that have been speaking to you and influencing you, making you feel that way, and you acting upon your feelings. You begin to worship your way through this thing. You begin to act on what the Word says. And man, Jesus will set you free. And the Bible says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You say, well, cricket, I've been set free from that. You need to know something. The devil knows your tendencies. You're never going to quit battle in this battle? What happens is you'll get to where you resist the devil and he's the one that starts running instead of you. But a roaring lion is the one that doesn't have no teeth. All they do is rare trying to get you to run somewhere. The devil cannot defeat you as long as you just don't take him, hug him up to him, put him in your pocket, and you let him have influence over you. You give yourself over to the Holy Spirit. You worship. You stay in His presence. Amen? You watch everything that God has for you will become available. I want to pray with you. And then Leah's going to take us out in a worship song. Because I do believe there are people here today that know they've been under the influence of a mnemonic spirit. It does not mean you're bad. It does not mean you're bad. What that means is this, that the devil's been trying to stop the will of God in your life. And then the devil wants to use you to stop the will of God in your family and in your church. But it's up to you. Because you you are the only one that can choose to put yourself under the hand of God. You're the only one that can choose to worship. Me and Wade were having a talk last night about a demonic attack he had been under a couple weeks ago. That he's like, man, I couldn't do anything. And the key is the only thing the devil can't stop you from doing is worshiping God. When you can't keep your mouth shut, start worshiping. When you can't feel better, worship. When you can't, when you make the choice to start worshiping, the the, the, the legion, the demonic boy couldn't get in. Couldn't do, he was cutting himself and hurting, him and living in tombs and, but he, the devil couldn't keep him from worshiping. The minute he worshipped, he was set free. I believe there are people in here that you're sick and tired of waking up with hangovers, sick and tired of waking up feeling with regret and hurt. Sick and tired of waking up with headaches from being under the influence of a demonic spirit. And I believe today, the Bible says resist the devil and he will flee. I believe you run to the feet of Jesus and you worship with all that you are. Freedom is going to come in your life. Right now in the name of Jesus, I bind every demon, every devil, every principality, every ruler of wickedness, every spiritual place, spiritual wickedness in high places. I bind you off of the children of God. I declare right now, Satan, your word says, the God's word says that what I bind on earth will be bound. And I bind you, Satan, off of every marriage, off of every body, off of every heart, off of every mind, off of every spirit in this room. And we declare that we are children of the Lord. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to fill our lives from the top of our head to the soles of our toes. And right now we make the decision to put ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Lord, I submit to you. God, I don't want my feelings to control my actions or my thoughts. I want your word and your way to be the ruling factor in my life. And so, Lord, I repent from any area that I've allowed the enemy to influence me. I repent from anything that I've allowed the enemy to use me to stop that you've desired to do. And today I make the conscious choice to submit myself under your hand. As I worship you, I thank you, Lord, for setting me free. In Jesus' name.